I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1, in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 4-6, through 6, Solomon writes, Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly, and live, and proceed in the way of understanding. In our passage today, Solomon continues to shine the spotlight on wisdom, whose words and place of residence are being contrasted with the words and place of residence of the adulterous woman. As we start this passage, we should immediately take note of who is being spoken to here, the naive. Wisdom says, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. Looking back through our text, this should actually ring a bell. As a matter of fact, the naive have been addressed before in Proverbs. Solomon described for us the way that he watched as a naive kid went to the adulterous woman's house. It's the same person who's invited to the house of wisdom as well. This word naive might not fully communicate exactly what's being expressed here. When someone is naive, it carries an implication in our language of innocence to a degree. That's not exactly what this Hebrew word means, however. Rather, it means foolish or simple-minded. Maybe translating it as stupid would even be a better translation than naive. But with that in mind, think about what's being offered here. How many of our most prestigious colleges and universities offer open invitations to simple-minded, stupid people? I mean, schools like Yale and Dartmouth are incredibly difficult to get into and only accept the cream of the crop, academically speaking. These schools don't produce the most brilliant minds in the world. They refine them. They take the sharpest knives in the drawer and make them even sharper, so to speak. Only people who believe that they're intelligent enough to survive would even dare apply to such an institution of learning like these. Wisdom, on the other hand, has no appeal for people who don't recognize their own lack of wisdom. It's only when a person is able to recognize their own foolishness that they would realize just how desperately they need to sit under wisdom's instruction. Jesus said something along those very same lines when he told the people that he had come to seek and save those who are lost rather than those who are righteous. It's clear then that the world has no interest in simple-minded, foolish people. And yet we see that God loves the simple-minded and is actually able and willing to use the uneducated, the unsophisticated people of this world to bring glory to himself. Chuck Swindoll once wrote, quote, In choosing those who would represent Christ and establish his church, God picked some of the most unusual individuals imaginable. In fact, he seems to delight in such surprising choices to this very day, end quote. Such was the case with people like D.L. Moody, who's widely recognized as one of the greatest evangelists of all time. He didn't have a very good education, and he wasn't very good at impressing people with his sophistication. Oftentimes, he wasn't very tactful in the way that he spoke with others. But he had a heart for the Lord, and the Lord gave him a heart for the lost. He thus ended up being one of the most influential Christian leaders of the past 200 years, easily. Moody heard wisdom's invitation, and he took her up on it. This is a call for repentance, to turn from one's foolish ways and instead walk in the ways of wisdom. And it's a voice that continues to ring out for the sake of everyone who refuses wisdom's instruction. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7-11, through 11, Solomon writes, He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. 
Continuing to discuss and develop the theme of choosing wisdom, Solomon here lays out a contrast of sorts for us in this passage. On the one hand, we see the wicked scoffer. In the other hand, a righteous man. These two men don't have a whole lot in common necessarily, but one thing that they do have in common is an invitation to partake of the feast which has been prepared by wisdom. It's absolutely incredible to see how differently each reacts after having had this invitation extended to them. The wicked scoffer responds by hurling insults back in the face of the person who puts the invitation in their hand. In fact, such an offer so greatly offends the wicked scoffer that the servant of wisdom who delivered the invitation becomes as hated as wisdom herself. On the other hand, when the same invitation is placed in the hands of a righteous person. They happily and humbly accept it. They embrace and cherish the opportunity to learn from wisdom. And rather than shouting derogatory insults in the face of the servant of wisdom who delivered the invitation, the righteous person delights in their presence. Think about how Peter reacted when Paul confronted him about his sin. Peter was a a rough, often brash, proud man. Getting in his face was a pretty risky move on Paul's behalf. As a fisherman, Peter was undoubtedly bigger and stronger than Paul and could have easily crushed Paul like a grape. But Peter was also a righteous man, and he loved the Lord Jesus dearly. And so therefore, when Paul rebuked him, as described in the second chapter of Galatians, Peter loved Paul all the more for it. Solomon writes, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. The wise person is always building their base of knowledge. Think about it. We all start out by doing the same thing. We learn our alphabet. Then we learn to put two or three letters together to make a word. Then we learn to put words together to make a sentence. Then we learn to use more appropriate and more complex words. And then we learn to put sentences together to make full paragraphs, and so on and so forth. And this is what the wise person is constantly doing. They are building on their wisdom. The righteous man who by the grace of God has learned wisdom must know the Lord. Solomon says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like fear of the Lord is the starting line for a race. If you start the race in the middle, you may as well have not started at all because in order to win a race, a person must cross both the start and the finish line. Crossing the finish line without crossing the starting line is an immediate disqualification. So it is with wisdom. If you don't have a fear of the Lord, you have haven't even started on the journey toward wisdom. Along the way, one will develop true understanding, which Solomon tells us is knowledge of the Holy One. Once a person has both wisdom and understanding, they will also discover that there's no real life apart from God. There's only wickedness, corruption, angst, and death on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 12, Solomon writes, If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Solomon has just laid out for us a situation in which we could compare and contrast the wicked scoffer with the righteous man. When presented with an invitation to dine at wisdom's table, the wicked scoffer becomes enraged and hateful toward the messenger. The righteous person, on the other hand, humbly receives the invitation from the messenger and loves the messenger for having delivered the very same invitation to them. Justice demands that every person be responsible for their actions, and God is justice personified. However, some would have us believe that God has predetermined all things in the world, including 
human decisions. Our verse here, however, reveals that each individual person is indeed directly responsible for the choices that they make, thus demonstrating that the idea that God, who again is perfectly just, has predetermined all human decisions, including decisions pertaining to salvation, is totally false. Everybody is responsible for the choices that they make. Now remember, this chapter has revealed that the wisdom of the Lord is visible to everyone in the city who takes the time to notice, and that wisdom calls out to everyone who will listen. Those who pay attention are said to be wise for themselves, but those who ignore the invitation to dine at wisdom's table are going to have to bear the consequences of having rejected the information that was necessary for them to have eternal life. Following the illustration of how fear of the Lord is like the starting line in the journey to wisdom, the person who rejects wisdom's invitation never even started the race, and thus they didn't pick up knowledge of the Holy One either, and have continued to be filled with death rather than life. It's not that the offer wasn't extended to those who must reap the consequences of not knowing Jesus. Could you be hurt or angry at someone who didn't come to your wedding if you never took the time to invite them? Of course not. But you could if you had extended an invitation for them to attend, and they had willfully refused. Solomon tells us that it's the same principle with the Lord. You can prepare a feast of life for a person to eat, but you can't make them eat it. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 9, verses 13 to 18, Solomon writes, The woman of folly is boisterous. She's naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. It's with these final words that Solomon ends this narrative, in which he warns his sons of the adulterous woman. Having spent the last chapter and a half focusing on wisdom, Solomon now gives us one final glimpse of the evil woman before turning the lights out. He reveals to us that, contrary to wisdom, the evil woman is naive and knows nothing. She had a pretty face, but an ugly heart. She might make you feel alive, but it's an illusion. All she has is death. Sadly, Solomon would have undoubtedly known many, many women just like her. First in our passage, Solomon tells us that she's sitting in the doorway of her house, which is by the high places of the city. Now remember, wisdom resides and calls out from the high places of the city. Well, that's not exactly where the evil woman is, but apparently she positions herself as close to wisdom as she can, not so that she can learn from wisdom, but so that she can obstruct your view of wisdom. Or maybe, if she can't obstruct your view, she can just cause you to be filled with confusion and mistake her for wisdom. These two possibilities seem to be the goal that she has in mind here, and she doesn't call out to just anyone, according to Solomon. No, she only calls out to those who are making their paths straight. Anyone who's trying to walk the path of righteousness receives this invitation from the wicked woman. Next, we should note that her opening words of invitation are a lie. She says, whoever is naive, let him turn in here. Well, those are the same words that wisdom uses. But the person who makes their path straight has only done so because they're not naive. But then she calls them naive. Talk about a huge red flag. This is the same thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He wanted to make Eve doubt what God had said. Here, God's word has told us that a person who makes their path straight is wise, and the woman is defiantly contradicting that idea. 
Next, she addresses those who don't have understanding. Note that she doesn't just address anyone who's crossed the starting line in the journey to wisdom. No, she's only trying to pick off people who aren't very far along on that journey just yet. But the lies don't stop there. Next, she tries to entice them by offering them stolen water, saying, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, let me ask you something. Is stolen water really any sweeter than any other water? Of course not. But this woman isn't in the business of being truthful. And why would bread eaten in secret be any more pleasant than any other place to eat bread? Why would it be more enjoyable to be looking over your shoulder while you eat bread, worried that anyone might discover you and destroy the secrecy? Secret sin, friends, is one of Satan's favorite ploys. He'll try to convince you, believe me, he will try to convince you that if someone finds out about your sin, it'll be over for you. You'll be ruined. He doesn't want you to make yourself accountable to anyone because you're more vulnerable when you're all alone. The simple-minded fool, however, doesn't think this all the way through. The idea of water that's stolen being sweeter or better than regular water stirs up in them a desire to drink nothing but stolen water. They're dumb enough to fall for it, and they end up convincing themselves that she was right anyway. Having accepted her invitation, they enter her house to find that it's already too late for them to turn back. The place is filled with people who have feasted on death with her and have no desire to leave. Misery loves company, and the naive person who falls for the wicked woman's lies is indeed miserable. This concludes Lesson 4. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.